Hi, my name is Ryan Flaherty, and I'm the Senior Director of Performance at Nike. I train some of the world's best athletes, like Russell Wilson, Marcus Mariota, and Serena Williams. At Nike, we believe that greatness isn't born, it's trained. And training is more than just a workout. Each episode, we'll bring you conversations with leading experts in what we call the five facets of training. Movement, recovery, sleep, nutrition, and mindset. Today, we focus on diet and our complicated relationship to nutrition. You're listening to Trained, presented by Nike. What I really have noticed is that when I do like an eight or nine hour time eating window, so I'm fasting for 15 or 16 hours, and I go for a run, my performance is completely enhanced. Where I mean, I get to the point where I usually stop and I just, I can keep going another couple of miles. That's Dr. Rhonda Patrick, founder of Found My Fitness blog and podcast. Dr. Patrick is a scientist in nutritional health, the brain, and aging. Today, she and I discuss how our current eating habits can affect our bodies in the long run. Before we hear from Rhonda, I wanted to tell you about something that happens to me all the time here at Nike. Every day at the office, my coworkers always ask me tons of questions about training and nutrition. People stop by my desk and say things like, can I eat this or should I be intermittent fasting? Even at Nike, where people are so invested in holistic training, even they find it hard to keep up with the latest information. Just last week, I was walking by my coworker's desk and she had this fish oil that was sitting by her computer. I was curious, so I asked her a few questions about it. Like, how come you picked this brand and what are you hoping to get from it? The way she answered reminds me of what I encounter a lot in this industry. She actually wasn't totally sure. She knew that fish oil was good for her brain, but she didn't know exactly why she was taking that type of fish oil or what she wanted to get out of the supplement. When it comes to nutrition and supplements, it's not just enough to say, I want to eat better. It's important to understand why you're committing to a specific diet or why you're taking a supplement and what you hope to get out of it and how you supplement really depends on your specific needs. Through blood work and a bit of research, you can find out exactly which supplements work best for your body. So take the time to understand why you're taking supplements. It will help you get the results you're looking for. We'll dive into some tips on supplements and a whole lot more with Rhonda Patrick. That's coming up next. My guest today is Dr. Rhonda Patrick. She's a biochemist who studies the link between nutrition and gene expression. She, more than anyone I've met, knows that the way we eat really does affect our bodies and our performance. We discuss and debunk the latest nutritional trends and how we can accurately measure our health. Dr. Patrick, thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. So having your background and in, in, in with all the research that you've been a part of and read and, and, and being in the scientific community, how, how do you kind of like, how do you stay up to speed with that? And then also, how do you kind of allow yourself to have a break from your mind racing about, you know, all of the, the new research and, and kind of what's going on in nutrition? Well, a lot of what motivates me is you know, selfish reasons. I, I'm actually like very interested in, in my own health and, mm -hmm. and, you know, trying to extend my health span, which is the, the youthful part of my life. You know, I don't want to, you know, live a long time, but be old and decrepit, you know, so, so I'm largely motivated by, by selfish reasons. And so, you know, because of that, I'm, I'm constantly looking in the literature for, 
you know, the latest research and um, I actually enjoy it. You know, there is there is a, a point where you kind of have to like you can go on forever and, mm-hmm. and drive yourself into this loop. And so you kind of do have to ch- chill out. But actually now it, it's it's a lot easier for me to do that because I ha- because I have my son and it's a, it's just a complete shut down on my brain that my 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 science brain yeah no that's great advice so supplementation it's as a trainer i get that all the time um everyone i think is looking for that magic pill right i mean they're looking for something to help them give them a kickstart in their in their training kind of journey from a supplement standpoint um how, how would you recommend people go about kind of understanding what's right for them and what isn't there's so much in the market i mean i, I can walk through a vitamin shop and walk out with about two thousand dollars worth of supplements based on all the research that's out there on what what is beneficial for you. What, what would you recommend people in terms of their starting out in supplementation? Yeah, I think that's a really um, it's a it's a difficult question to to address uh, without, like you said, being being scientific about it and quantifying something and measuring, you know, a, a variety of biomarkers to see, you know, potentially where you can fill the gaps. Um, generally speaking, you know, there there are a lot of supplements out there, and unfortunately, studies have shown that a wide um, variety and actually a lot of those supplements happen to be um, not actually they don't actually contain what they they're supposed to contain. <laughs> yeah. So there's so that's one thing. So you really have to find reliable um, manufacturers. I think you know that's 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 very important. Is there a good place to find those? Like, is there a list somewhere? Or there's is there, is there a certain kind of designation on the bottle that would help people? Yeah, find I that? mean there there are there are certain guidelines that can help. Like you know if if, if it's uh, NSF certified, mm-hmm. you know that that's you know at least to some degree you're having you know a, a company come in and look at their sanitary, look at uh, making sure that they actually do contain active ingredients, and then. There's another one for fish oil. It's called the International Fish Oil um, Association, and they 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 measure things like oxidized fat, uh, different um, potential contaminants like mercury, you know, uh, things like that. Um, but sort of to to address your question about you know how how does one figure out what to supplement with? You know, I think I can tell you what I do, and what I do is I look. You know, I, I take a multivitamin just to kind of fill some of the gaps. And I, and I do one, I take um, one that doesn't have like really, really high levels of everything, you know, because sometimes you find vitamins that are just like 5,000% yeah, yeah. RDA. And it's right. like, well, why do I need 5,000% yeah. of the RDA? Yeah. Um, you know, and then I take a vitamin D supplement and I take fish oil. Those are like my my core supplements, uh, things like that. And I've noticed a big difference for me. Um, it's, it's definitely helped me. So yeah, for me, I just always start with like, have you had your blood test? Like, have you had blood work done and, and start there? Because it, a lot of us, we don't know what, what our body is already getting from food. We don't know, you yeah. know, just because we've read that, you know, iron or, you know, vitamin D is something that, that is, you know, research shows is really beneficial. We may st- be okay there that, you know, there's other maybe folic acid is where we're, we're low and we could, you know, so I, I think it's just blood work tends to, yeah. I feel like should be the first place to start. And vitamin D is one of those, you know, those, those things that you can measure um, and you should measure definitely before supplementing and after supplementing as well yeah. to make sure that you're in the right range. Yeah. So being a, an athlete in my past, training lots of athletes, and then throughout my 20s being really competitive, um, now into my 30s, I, I've hit I've hit a point 100% where I'm just way f- more focused on longevity. For me, it, performance is like, yeah, I want to be efficient and, and move well and, and whatnot, but I think I'm really focused on just lifespan, like you've said. I want to make sure that I'm not sick and, and can't walk in my you know old age. I want to be able to be active, but then have a really sharp drop off at the end is the goal. Um, when did that shift for you? Like, when did you start focusing on on your longevity? So 
right out of college when I was very young, in my early 20s, you know, I started working in a aging lab at the Salk Institute for Biological Studies in, in La Jolla. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, there's a moment where, you know, we were working with worms, nematode worms, as a research model because they live about two weeks. And so you can manipulate all these genes and humans have a lot of homologous genes that are very similar to the worms. So you can like IGF-1 pathway, insulin signaling, all those things, you know, worms have, believe it or not. So you can manipulate all these genetic pathways and change the lifespan of the worms. And there's one pathway, the insulin signaling IGF-1 pathway, where you tweak it just a little bit and you can take a worm from living 14 days to 30. So you extend their lifespan by 100%. And I, you know, was doing this myself and seeing how the worm was 14, you know, days old. Usually that was dead. It was it was literally comparable to like a two-day-old worm where it was just young and moving. And, and wow. just seeing that and doing the experiments myself, something sort of just clicked in my mind where it was like, holy crap, this is amazing. Like, I want to be like this. Like, I want to I want to be healthy. I want to be younger when I'm older. And look, things, you know, you can manipulate it genetically. We know a lot of things in our environment, you know, our diet, our lifestyle affect a variety of genes, including the insulin signaling and IGF-1 pathway. So um, I kind of, at that mo- moment, had this like little uh, ha moment in my in my mind where I was like, wow, like we can actually like, change the way we age and it'll make a huge difference in, in our life. Yeah. So, and just for anyone that doesn't know, can you just d- help define IGF-1? Yeah. So IGF-1 is insulin-like growth factor one, and it's essentially a very powerful growth factor that is allowing cells to grow, 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 grow. Is there any studies in IGF-1 today that, in humans that you're excited about? There's lots of studies. Yeah. So, I mean, there's one of the largest clinical trials that has been published to date that has looked at basically meat consumption and its effect on all-cause mortality and cancer-related mortality, found something very interesting. And that was that, again, like many other studies, that people that eat meat do have a higher cancer, specifically cancer-related mortality, as well as all-cause mortality. But what was interesting is that when they looked at the data and they looked at all these other you know, lifestyle factors, what was found was that meat consumers that did not have any other unhealthy lifestyle factors, which included being obese, being sedentary, smoking, or excessive alcohol consumption. So if they didn't have any of those things, Mm -hmm. if they were healthy, active, not smoking, then their cancer mortality and all-cause mortality was just like the non-meat eater. So they they didn't have that increased effect. Right. I think that's the key, exercising really. Um, So, but if you're someone that's overweight, obese, not looking to work on that, you might be better off being a vegan, honestly. Or if you're a smoker, I mean, really, if you're a smoker, you should quit smoking like that. Like, but if you're not going to quit smoking, you might be better off being a vegan, you know? So that's kind of my take on that. I think that's great. I think that's a great way to put it, actually, um, which kind of leads us into that a little bit. You know, animal protein and eating that way. Going to, Can you talk a little bit about the ketogenic diet and your background with it and what you know? Yes. Um, I, I would say that we don't really have any data, long, long-term data in humans that suggest it's like the best diet for longevity. Right. It, it, it's very possible that it might be, but we don't really know 
you know, mm-hmm. so it, little, there's a little bit of a risk there. You know, there is some evidence in animals that it's really um, can possibly even increase, you know, lifespan or health span for sure. It certainly is is good to um, lower insulin signaling because you're you're limiting your carbohydrate intake, which is the main source of glucose. And so you're really not, you're not getting that constant insulin response. Um, and that is something that does regulate aging. Um, we know for, for sure. Um, but you also have to realize a ketogenic diet is a, a very high fat diet. And, you know, I know there's a lot of different perturbations of this diet, you can kind of modulate it in a certain way where you're you're at least trying to get some greens and, you know, mm-hmm. some, you know, you're getting the fat and maybe not as much protein. And there's probably lots of ways you can sort of modulate it. But ultimately, um, it's important to realize that, that, you know, people do process micronutrients and macronutrients differently. And fat is probably one of the biggest dietary factors that, that you know, varies from person to person and how we metabolize it. It was thought that, you know, like, because before, you know, the pre-industrialization, before we could, like, you know, eat Florida oranges, like, in the winter and in yeah, Norway right. or yeah. whatever, you know, um, that that you're, you're sort of beholden to your geographic location for the food that you're eating. And whatever food was growing during that time of year is what you were eating. Mm-hmm. So, you know, depending on where you lived, if you were in more northern Europe, you're probably eating a lot more fat during the cold winter months and, um, you know, versus like Asia where there's a lot of carbohydrates. Yeah. Basically, these things vary from person to person. And if for someone that is going to experiment with a diet like the ketogenic diet, I think it's probably um, smart if, you know, you go ahead and measure a variety of blood biomarkers to make sure that this diet isn't like totally wrecking your system. After the break, Rhonda will take us through a lightning round on today's trendiest diets. Stick around. The Nike Training Club app gives you unlimited free workouts and holistic guidance from Nike experts. Get fit with a variety of drills from strength and endurance to mobility and yoga. Also, if you don't have enough time to get to the gym, the app has great workouts you can do from home, a hotel room, or anywhere you have space to move around. Download it now on both Android and iOS. So can you talk just to into intermittent fasting a little bit and your recommendations for using it? Sure. There's lots of ways to fast. And intermittent fasting typically refers to, I would say, in humans, something that is mostly long, longer than 12 hours. So 12 hours up to like, you know, maybe 48 hours is, is typically like an intermittent fast. But um, there's also prolonged fasting, which would be more like a three, four, even five day fast. And then there's something called time restricted eating, which adds a component of circadian biology as well as the intermittent fast to it, where you're basically focused on eating all your food within a certain time window, for example, let's say 10 hours, which means you're going to be fasting naturally for 14 hours, Mm -hmm. right? Since there's 24 hours in a day. I think the place that I like to start is with time-restricted eating because um, it's easy. It's easy to do. It's an easier way to live, too. I mean, it's just it makes your life so much easier when you don't have to plan out eight meals a day, you know? Right. Um, And the time-restricted eating, in addition to the fasting, there's this whole circadian biology component, which is really important because, you know, every cell in our body is on this little clock, including all of our metabolic enzymes. So there's, you know, studies that have shown, for example, if you take men and you give them the exact same meal in the morning or in the evening, their insulin response is much better in the morning versus the evening. And so they're so you're basically more insulin insensitive 
in the evening versus the morning. And that is because the first time you eat, the first meal that you eat, you actually start the clock of your metabolism enzymes. So so basically, um, there's that whole component of like, okay, eating during the optimal time so that your metabolism is at its best, like that's important. And then there's the whole, okay, when I'm not eating, I'm fasting. So mm-hmm. I'm getting the whole intermittent fast benefit as well. So you're, you're, you're letting your body rest, you're letting your gut rest. What I really have noticed is that when I do like an eight or nine hour time eating window, so I'm fasting for 15 or 16 hours, and I go for a run or I do some sort of endurance exercise fasted, my performance is completely enhanced where, I mean, I get to the point where I usually stop and I just, I can keep going another couple of miles like on a run. And it's very noticeable and it's happened, you know, probably five or six times now. Um, so that's kind of like a, a, a fun little tip I like to yeah. do when I'm trying to like, you know, improve my endurance. Sure. Not high intensity, but my endurance. And then I'm eating you know, within my circadian rhythm when I'm supposed to eat, which um, lots of data has shown that, you know, improves a variety of biomarkers of, you know, you know, glucose metabolism and fatty acid metabolism and, you know, cholesterol, triglycerides, all these things are improved. So I think that um, time-restricted eating is a really good place to start. And I've had a lot of people and they've said they've done, tried everything they could to lower their fasting blood glucose levels and nothing worked, including a ketogenic diet. And until... They started doing time-restricted eating. That that was the only thing that started to work. Because, you know, it's one thing to, like, to focus on eating the best foods and trying to get your nutrient density and, you know, not get, eating refined foods and all that. But what's beautiful about this this diet, and you can you can actually even, for example, put animals on a diet that they're eating, like, terrible, like, a Amer- standard American diet, but you make them eat within this, you know, like, 9 or 10-hour window, even 12 hours, and they it, it, they still will lose weight. They you know basically it improves their metabolism even though they're eating a crappy diet. Mm-hmm. And I think that having a person and and telling them to like restrict all their food to like nine or ten hours or eight hours if they're really like wanting to focus more on fat loss um, is a lot easier to do and more manageable. And as they start to notice results, people start to naturally start eating more healthier, yeah. believe it or not. No, it, it's really yeah. cool. One one of the things I was going to ask you real quick on that, I noticed a little bit. For, for men, it seems to be pretty effective pretty quickly. For women, sometimes they don't respond as, as well. I don't know if there's a hormonal issue happening there. Do, do you know, if, should they try to shift their window if they're not, not finding that they're, they're seeing the kind of results that they're hoping for? You bring up a really, a very interesting point because um, not just women, but actually people that are severely over overweight, obese, mm-hmm. may potentially have hormonal problems, like hormones that regulate metabolism and things like, like that in general, yep. may be completely dysregulated. And it seems as though a prolonged fast is what's required to really even possibly even shift their metabolism back into reset. Yeah. And what's interesting about the reset is with a prolonged fast, and one of the reasons I'm super interested in it is because lots of studies now from from Walter's lab um, have shown that essentially what ends up happening when you're doing a prolonged fast is that you're basically – it's a very – strong stress on the body. And typically when you're doing something like a shorter fast, like an intermittent fast, you basically, it's a, it's enough of a stressor where you start to activate a process called autophagy, where you're clearing away damaged stuff inside of your cells, basically cleaning out the trash. Mm-hmm. Well, when you, when you make that stress strong enough, you kind of shift into not only clearing away the damaged stuff inside the cell, you actually just kill the whole cell. Damaged cells, gone. Organs essentially shrink, like completely shrink. 
multiple organs. Wow. Like, and the reason they shrink is because all these damaged cells are being killed. And it activates stem cells like, like very profoundly, like sixfold. And the stem cells then rebuild the organ with completely brand new, young, healthy cells. It's amazing. And so you get this shrinking and then this regrowing of organs, and including the brain, um, after, after this, this like fasting, mimicking diet and also five-day fast. So there's just – there's the applications. I mean, you started off with Everywhere. intermittent fasting and trainers, and it's like, you know – I, it, it's one of the it's one of the fields that I'm most excited about for a variety of reasons, performance wise, and then longevity wise. But but yeah, so I'm I'm interested in doing it for myself for just the regrowing of organs, like the I shrinking mean, it's and regrowing. Yeah, yeah. No, there's yeah, like I, literally every, the whole organs just shrink. I mean, it's like if you if you look at the data, you see it. It's just like whoa, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So maybe for people who are just introducing themselves as the first time they've ever done any time-restricted eating or intermittent fasting, how, how would you recommend they work them, their way into it? What's a good like onboarding process for people who are new to it or struggling with it? Probably starting with the 12 hours. I mean, believe it or not, most people think they eat all their food within 12 hours, but, um, but studies have shown that people actually eat within more like 15 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think that, you know, for some people, starting starting within twelve hours, you know, you can start there, and then you can move move down to ten, and then even nine. Eat all your food within nine hours, and and the other thing is that studies have also shown that even if you take a couple of cheat days, so like for example, two days a week, like a weekend where you you have like social activities, maybe that are happening a little little bit later, would be outside of your nine or ten hour eating window. That um, it's actually okay to to take those cheat days. You still have a lot of the same metabolic benefits as well. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you have to like lose your mind over like your <laughs> social event, right? And then the other thing is is that you can also even shift your your if you're if you're you know have a lot of social events that are happening later in the evening, you can shift your time window a little bit later. So so instead of eating your first meal at you know noon noon. Um, do it at three or something. Yeah, or or instead of eating your first meal at ten, do it at noon. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like Just shift it back. Okay. Um, personal kind of for me is, is, is sugar. Both my parents passed away from cancer, um, you know, when I was younger and when my mom was, was diagnosed, the first thing I went to her first appointment and, and we were told by the doctor about removing sugar from her diet completely right off the bat it was the first thing he, he wanted her to do. Um, can you just talk to the effects of sugar on, on just absolutely everybody and why it's so important to, to think about removing it from your diet completely? Yeah, so you're talking specifically about refined sugar. I am. Um, yeah, refined sugar, you know, there's been a, a variety of, of publications now that have shown that it's just it just wreaks havoc on health for a variety of reasons. I mean, people that are drinking these sweetened sugar beverages, if you look at age match controls that don't drink them and you correct for all these other lifestyle factors, basically they're, they biologically look, you know, five five to ten years older and they're like the same age, wow. chronological age. Uh, you know, there's studies showing that it affects, you know, testosterone, which is very related to performance. There was a study showing that men that took 25 grams of refined sugar and like an hour later, their testosterone dropped. For know, per- yeah, on yeah, performance as well. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's causing your testosterone to go down. So you're, you're talking about it's increasing biomarkers for, for aging, for cardiovascular disease, for cancer. Yeah, yeah. It's all bad. <laughs> it's, it's all bad. So we're going to do a quick lightning round with you. I wanted to touch on a few diets and get your quick kind of thoughts on who they're good for and why. So we'll start with ketogenic diet. Well, I think the ketogenic diet could be good for a variety of people that are 
interested in losing weight, maybe even having endurance performance benefit benefits and keeping their blood glucose levels, you know, lower. But you have to measure biomarkers. You make sure that those things are all, you know, okay if you're doing that sort of diet. Yep, 100%. Paleo. Paleo, and that's kind of actually a little, little more of the diet I follow, I would say, generally speaking. Um, I think paleo is, is good for people that are definitely active, you know, physically active, and uh, people that are not obese or o- overweight or not trying to lose the weight. Mm-hmm. If you're going to eat animal meat, generally speaking, I think that you need to get off your butt and move. Um, vegan. Um, I think the vegan diets, you got to make sure you're getting all your micronutrients, your iron, your omega-3 fatty acids, your B12, vitamin D, making sure you're getting all those things. But also people that are smokers or, you know, obese, morbidly overweight, don't want to, you know, lose weight. Studies have shown maybe, you know, vegan diets may actually lower your, your, your risk for cancer. Okay, so I would just say kind of fasting, but I want to include like intermittent fasting and time-bound eating. Yeah, the time-restricted eating, I personally think everyone should do it. Okay. Yeah, I think that there's a benefit for everyone, period. Thank you very much for the time. This was, I could talk to you for 10 hours, and I think so many people are going to get a lot out of this, so really appreciate your time. Awesome. Yeah, my pleasure. That was a fascinating conversation. Usually I would have quite a few takeaways for you guys, but today I think just the one that really stood out for me, the most powerful one was was time-restricted eating. It's not often at all that, that something comes through in nutrition where a scientist or nutritionist will, will stand that firm in any one method. Trained is produced by Nike Training Club Pro. To join the premier network for fitness professionals everywhere, go to nike.com slash ntcpro. The best of Nike, exclusively for trainers. Our conversation next week is with Sherry Ma, a sleep expert who studies the way athletes' sleep habits affect their performance. See you then. Consult your doctor before engaging in an exercise program of any kind, especially if you have a medical condition. Use good judgment and common sense about your own fitness level and ability when engaging in a training program. If something doesn't feel right, stop immediately and seek medical attention as necessary.